are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Nicole McGuffin, a licensed professional counselor. She is the founder and clinical director of Amazing Brains with offices in Steamboat Springs, Vail, and Frisco, Colorado. So hi, Dr. McGuffin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brandon. Yeah. I'm, nice uh, to be here. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. I'm, I'm actually... I got a chance to take a look at the work you do before um, before we started chatting today. And I, for one, am fascinated. We haven't had anybody on the show that works in quite the niche that you occupy. Mm-hmm. So I guess first things first, can you just give listeners a background on your practice and the kind of angle that you take in the work that you do? You bet. So uh, what I do is called neurofeedback. And I also do counseling. Um, With neurofeedback, it's just we're looking at training the central nervous system. So anything that's neurophysiological, we want to help make that better. Makes sense. Super high level. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, So can you just um, take us through a little bit about, because I know that there's different kind of measurements, there's different tools that you use in order to do that. So just to give listeners a more concrete understanding of, of how that's actually done, um, can you just take us through some of those uh, different techniques that you use in your office? You bet. So uh, anything that's neurophysiological, that can include ADHD, uh, depression, anxiety, seizures, traumatic brain injuries, concussions, learning challenges, And so when people call me, what we do is first we make sure it's a fit and there's not something easier to do first. And if it really is a fit for them and it's a fit for us, what we do is we start with what's called a QEEG. And this is just measuring the surface electrical activity in their central nervous system. And we're looking for what's called different phenotypes. And these are signatures. Um, The kind of neurofeedback we do is based off of Jay Gunkelman's research, and there's 12 identified phenotypes. So different phenotypes will be present for memory issues, executive functioning issues, um, social acuity, trauma, uh, learning, processing speed, a whole host of different things. And so when I identify what different phenotypes are happening, I'll create a treatment plan specific to that person. And people will come in the office twice weekly for training sessions. So it can be very much equated to like an exercise training program, except for the brain. It's a slow, gradual process like physical therapy for the brain where I hook somebody up and they're fed back what's happening with their brain waves so they can learn how to optimize their brain functioning. 
we use a mechanism of action called operant conditioning. So if you think of BF Skinner's rats or Pavlov's dogs, it's very much the same concept, except we're actually feeding back to them what their brainwaves are doing through an auditory feedback mechanism of tones or a visual feedback mechanism of where they're playing video games, except their brain is controlling the video game or they're watching movies and the movies are modulated in and out. When they've hit the pattern, I'm asking them to learn. They're able to see the movies. When they don't, the screen actually fades away. That's frustrating. Their brain gets back into the pattern. I'm asking them to learn and they're able to see the movie. So if you think about medication as being a top-down approach where we have a symptom, we take a medication and we have a global effect on the brain and trying to control those symptoms, just the opposite neurofeedback is gonna be a bottom-up approach where we're actually training the underlying physiology that creates the symptom that somebody's struggling with. So it's completely natural, it's completely painless. Um, it was developed in 1968 by Dr. Barry Sturman out of UCLA School of Medicine. It's been around for a long time. The research is really exciting what's taking place and um, we get some really great results for people. Yeah, this is this is fascinating. Um, I guess the, the beauty of being human because Pavlov's dogs could not possibly be able to get this kind of feedback because, I mean, obviously, this is, the like I said, the uh, the advantage um, of being human. But uh, so I, I want to ask you about, because you mentioned medication. So obviously medication, when you compare it to a technique like this, if you're able to achieve um, similar or better effects by doing it naturally, I think anybody would agree that um, going the natural route <clears throat> would be ideal. But beyond that, I want to ask for your take on why you think that this approach would be more, would have greater long-term benefits um, than, for example, just taking medication, which is the standard route that a lot of, um, you know, kind of psychiatric, uh, you know, work is, is being done. It's kind of, like you just said, it's trying to get at the same end result, but one is top down, the other one is bottom up. Why, why do you think that the neurofeedback technique would be more effective long-term? So great question. I think to, from the outset, I should say that I'm by no means against medication. I just recognize its limitations. And so if we're taking a medication, it's going to have a global effect on our brain. It's not pinpointing the exact cause or etiology of what's happening right or neurofeedback can actually pinpoint the exact area that's creating the issues to begin with um another thing even when we're just talking about therapy we don't even bring neurofeedback in when we talk about medication yeah some people definitely need it it's not a bad thing there's no judgment it's it's not a there's no value there that shows somebody is good or bad being able to take medication. But even with therapy, we want to actually pinpoint what is underneath or the root cause that's creating, frankly, trauma. And we have big T trauma and we have little T trauma and we have all, all these different things that can happen in life that often aren't recognized in our society or culture. 
that need to be addressed that can really impact people's development. And so when we can really get below the surface level and work in that way, whether we're talking about counseling or neurofeedback, we can make a lot greater gains. I, f- I feel like medication can be really helpful and it just has a lot of limitations and it can only bring people so far. My interest in my work is really working at what the root cause is and getting people kind of that deeper healing. Um, with neurofeedback, like I said, we can really pinpoint this is the area of the brain that's creating dysregulation. And let's actually teach the brain to kind of optimize what's happening in that surface electrical activity. So we get that slow, gradual process. When somebody comes to me on medication, I'll just use a really quick and easy example of a stimulant for ADHD. As somebody goes through neurofeedback, you're going to heal that nervous system And people will start to see, typically, not every time, but typically, medication overuse side effects because the more the brain heals, the less the brain is going to need that medication. Do you think that neurofeedback would have longer-term positive effects? (laughs) This is a touchy subject. I want to be careful about how I say it and really, um, it's kind of a hot topic. It is. Yeah. And I don't want to offend anybody um, in the psychiatric field or even people taking medication. I think there is a place for it, 100%. And I also don't think it is necessarily the whole picture when we look at healing holistically. And when we look at healing and wanting to get to the underlying cause that's creating the symptoms, let's get beyond just treating the symptoms let's get to the underlying cause and let's actually create real healing. Oh, maybe I even regret saying the word real healing. Um, <laughs> I do want to dance around the topic a little bit and really honor wherever somebody is in their journey with that, because it's such a personal decision. Neurofeedback has its downfalls too. It's not a quick fix. It's a slow, gradual process like physical therapy for the brain mm-hmm. where you can take medication and feel better relatively quickly if and when it works. Neurofeedback is going to be more of a slow, gradual process where you're going to notice something within 10 sessions and it builds from there. Um, it's expensive. It takes time. People on average come see me for five months twice weekly. Uh, deeper issues, people come even longer. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a different approach definitely than taking a pill. Um, also when you're doing neurofeedback, you can get medication overuse side effects. And so as the brain heals, someone will need less and less medication often, not every time we take each case individually. Right. Okay. That answer question. Absolutely. Um, and I know it is a touchy subject. And um, especially given that, as you said, every case is different. I can definitely mm-hmm. imagine cases where medication, at least, you know, at first glance might seem more appropriate. Um, and, um, but of course, you know, it is a topic that I think a lot of people would, would be thinking about. And so it is something I wanted to, to touch on. Um, so, I also wanted to discuss another idea, which I, I guess anybody listening to the show, the purpose really of of this particular episode, I think, would be to give 
as accurate and informative of a window into the work you do as possible because it's it's definitely it's definitely not as simple as let's say you know regular talk therapy well i say regular but i guess conventional talk therapy where you're just discussing perhaps a you're 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 easing your way into discussing a traumatic event <clears throat> and trying to help the client understand you know the real causes and and how the client got to where they are today with kind of a a window with kind of a focus on on that traumatic event um and the whole idea of it is you know trying to bring the client back to baseline in your case it seems more a it seems more of a like i don't know what the word would be but maybe more of a practical type of um i guess angle where you're actually looking at the real time um you know, uh, brain functioning and trying to react to that. Hence, you know, neurofeedback, right? You're trying to react to that. And so is there an element as well of um, of what I just mentioned, of trying to, I guess, talk out what, what happened in the case of a traumatic event, um, keeping that as the example, or is it purely just reactive to to the brain and kind of forward-looking? That's such a great question. I, I worded um, it really poorly, but I'm glad you understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a therapist, so I'm kind of stumbling through the question, but it sounds like you got it. No, I think I got it. And it's really a great question. I think whether we're talking about neurofeedback or we're talking about therapy, for me, in my worldview, the nervous system is so important. Whether we're talking about the central nervous system with neurofeedback, or we're talking about the autonomic nervous system and controlling heart rate variability, which is going to create more autonomic tone and more resiliency and really stimulate that vagus nerve and maybe have this lens of therapy through polyvagal theory or internal family systems where we are able to really hone into the parts of ourselves that are just protecting the wounded parts of ourselves. I think talk therapy, definitely there's place for it. There's a, it definitely comes in and it depends on the presentation. So I can have a presentation of a client where they truly just have dyslexia and, and there's just really not a lot of talk therapy that's needed in that case. And we're strictly just training down alpha in the left temporal lobe and training up beta in the prefrontal cortex to actually get that um, prefrontal cortex online and working more optimally. And I can have somebody who comes in with a more complex picture um, who may have a learning disability and social anxiety and some trauma where social anxiety, um, missing social cues, social acuity is gonna be in the same area of the brain in the right temporal lobe uh, as trauma. Mm -hmm. And when people are coming in with more complex PTSD or developmental trauma, or even lack of attunement, um, maybe you had a narcissistic parent and a whole lifetime of invalidation where everyone around them isn't even really noticing or seeing, and it hasn't been articulated. There is a place for talk therapy, 100%. And whether I'm approaching it from neurofeedback, I'm approaching it from counseling, or I'm approaching it with both, I'm always keeping the nervous system in mind. Got it. Got it. So that's why the initial assessment is so critical to determine the proper path forward 
with regards to these approaches? Oh, you brought up such a great point. Absolutely. Like just really understanding on a deeper level what the big picture is can really dictate taking the right path or or taking the most effective path, I should say. Right. Yeah. And actually it's it's because in so many conversations that I've had with coaches and now therapists, um, it, it just becomes so clear. And I hope that it's a recurring theme of the show that is being driven home that those very first few sessions, you know, the initial for, you know, perhaps the initial consult and then the the very first few sessions, especially that first one is so, so critical um, because what you don't want is a case where you're a couple sessions in and then you have to all of a sudden change course and whether that means sometimes having to refer the client out if it turns out that the most effective treatment for them is something that you don't even offer or something you don't even specialize in. And you don't, you definitely want to avoid that because then the client can feel abandoned. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about somebody who is in need of help. And so a, a referral out, whereas from a therapist standpoint might seem like the ethical thing to do from a client standpoint might seem like they just gave up on me. Right. And so, um, it is really important to, to, you know, hammer down the right, the right path forward as early as possible. That, and you, you bring up such a great point too, of how you start is so important and creating a therapeutic alliance is probably the most important thing out of everything that you do and creating safety and having this nervous system to nervous system connection where we're not just using our left brains and giving unheeded advice, but we're actually able to create this safe co-regulating relationship with the client is going to go so much further than even what theoretical orientation you take. Right. The relationship is the healing part. Right, absolutely. Um, and actually coaches would, would echo that same idea um, I've had coaches tell me that for some clients, all the client really needs, as simple as it sounds, is somebody to talk to, just somebody to confide in. Um, and that's kind of often what we discuss when a lot of coaches talk about imposter syndrome and I'm not good mm -hmm. enough. And uh, who am I to kind of sit down with somebody with their most pressing and, and deepest challenges, right? Um, but but really, some some clients, not all, but some clients really just need that back and forth. And again, I'm not talking about therapy here. I'm talking about, about coaching. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I think, I think still what you're saying though is right, that it is the relationship. You nailed it. You, all you just said was we all need safe co-regulating relationships. And if a coach can provide that, that in and of itself is so healing. Yeah, absolutely. The treatment is safe relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as simple as it sounds, some people are missing that in their day to day life. So, um, lots of people are missing it. So, I'm diverting a little bit from where we started, but um, but it really, when we come down to the essence of it, I'm trying to create safety in the nervous system. Whether we're talking about polyvagal theory, we're talking about neurofeedback, or a coach is just really attuned in creating a strong therapeutic alliance with their client. It, we're, we're trying to create safety for people. Right, right. That's a, a key thing to, to focus on. 
Um, I, I want to touch upon something that I also read on your site, which intrigued me. And you mentioned in your, you have kind of like a seven step, um, you know, therapy process that's uh, delineated on, on the website. And I wanted to touch upon the very first one because it mentioned that a lot of your clients have already consulted with a lot of experts by the time they find you. And that does make sense. I mean, the very first, I guess, idea of what therapy is for people typically is not neurofeedback, right? Um, you know, I think neurofeedback is kind of what people might envision therapy of the future. It's kind of this futuristic kind of thing where you're, um, I mean, I'm caricaturing it a bit, but it is kind of a, a futuristic idea where you can literally, literally see what your brain is doing and... Um, and you're reacting to that. And so what I'm what I want to get at is why do you think that your approach has been for some clients the first approach that has really worked whereas, you know, they have already gone to so many other therapists. Um most of them I assume and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I I'm assuming most of them would be your classic talk therapy. Um why do you think this approach for some clients was the breakthrough? Yeah. Uh, most people, when they come and sit down for that first consultation, say, I don't know very much about this. And I say, oh, well, you're exactly where you need to be. <laughs> um, uh, it is foreign to most people. Um, the first thought that comes to mind is when we just think about the DSM, and these, this taxonomy of symptoms, when we really break it down, what are we talking about? We're talking about dysregulation of the nervous system. So when we go from that worldview and somebody has a really complex presentation of, oh my gosh, slow processing speed and missing social cues and some trauma in there and a whole host of different things, talk therapy is never gonna be enough. And when we can involve the brain and we can add the brain to that complex presentation, that's where the healing can start. The other thing that comes to mind is we can go and I can have a presentation of somebody that there's no great diagnosis. You can tell I'm not a huge fan of diagnostics. I think that there's a place for it. It can guide treatment planning. I don't completely abolish it, but I definitely don't hang my hat on diagnostic diagnostics or this is your diagnosis. Um, I can have somebody come in and they can have a host of symptoms where there just is no good diagnosis for them. Right. Because diagnostics don't explain everything that's happening in the brain. When we can involve the brain in treatment, we can make really big inroads. Now, in the same breath, I'll say lots of times therapy is more than enough and completely phenomenal. And sometimes neurofeedback's not going to be enough and we need the therapy too. Sometimes therapy is all you need. Everybody's got a different presentation. Did that answer your question? It did. And I'm... Um... You're the first therapist that I've had on the show that has kind of come out a little bit against um, diagnostics in the way that you did. And I'm, I'm glad you did because it just points to how complex the mind is and to try to pin down a person's 
struggle or challenge on one diagnosis that, you know, maybe tens of thousands or millions of other people share probably mm. oversimplifies the issue um, for a lot. And, it, you know, I think for some, I mean, I think you mentioned dyslexia, right? I think for something like that, again, I'm not a therapist, full disclosure here, but it's just my, my instinct kind of tells me that for something like that, it seems a little bit more straightforward. Um, but especially with regards to trauma, you know, um, uh, it, it seems that a simple diagnosis would be probably missing a lot of the critical detail that um, that characterizes a person's um, particular situation. So um, it's not a one-size-fits-all for, for everybody that has it, you know. I did my dissertation on PTSD and neurofeedback, and then I compared it to all the efficacious trauma treatments. And it was so fascinating really drilling down into PTSD you can have hundreds of thousands of presentations of PTSD with all the possible com combinations. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So try pinning that down to a four letter acronym. Um, right. <laughs> doesn't quite work. Um, and then when we yeah. simplify it, whatever our tool is, whether it is traditional counseling and there's, you know, hundreds, or if not thousands of theoretical orientations within counseling or neurofeedback or whatever path we choose to take, what are we really doing? We really want to regulate the nervous system. Right. There's so much power in that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I think you've given listeners a really interesting perspective on how a therapy practice could be run. It's kind of similar to what I tell coaches, you know, some coaches that I've spoken to just to kind of bring it back for a second on coaching. Um, you know, some coaches do the typical life coaching where you're sitting in a room or you're on zoom, I guess now we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but some coaches, and these are the ones that I particularly love talking to found a niche that is kind of off the wall. It's kind of atypical. It's definitely the road less taken when it comes to coaching practices, whether it's, um, well, equine centered coaching has become a lot more popular, but it definitely is still, I would say the exception. Um, there's, you know, laughter therapy, right? And so people getting in a room and they're all just laughing together. And it's just kind of, it's a little bizarre if you've, <laughs> if you've never heard of it. I love it. I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh, you see what I mean? Like, it's, it's really, really bizarre, but it's one of those I mean, I, I, I don't want to caricature it too much, but I think it's one of those, there, there's an element to fake it till you make it with, um, with laughter therapy where just the sheer act of laughing actually activates um, a lot of the same end results that you're looking for, you know, uh, joy and um, just general states of positive well-being. And so if you do it enough, it can, it can actually kind of become um, more part of who you are instead of just... Uh, something that you're forcing at the start. But anyway, so my, my point is, is that there's so many different angles that coaches take. And just going back to the therapy side, you know, neurofeedback is not something that you're going to find um, in your standard run-of-the-mill, um, you know, psychotherapeutic practice. It's just not something you see every day. Like you said, it's very expensive. Um, it, it requires um, special machinery, right? It, it requires a, a whole setup. And so anyway, I, I just want to, all this to say that I, I think it's just really cool how you made your therapy practice your own. You didn't, um, and you have reasons to believe it. It's science-based, it's evidence-based, uh, and 
um, it clearly is working. So I think that's that's awesome. And um, I love yeah, what you said about the laughter therapy too. Can I just add yeah, something yeah, sure. about that? Um, that's so cool. First of all, <laughs> I'm so intrigued. I'm gonna look this up. I've never heard of this. Um, but even as you describe it, what someone's doing when they're laughing is they're actually showing their nervous system how to access yeah. the ventral complex. Yeah. See, now you're turning they're it into your kind of language. <laughs> yeah. Their nervous system for us. They're actually, by accessing the ventral complex, they're turning on their social engagement system and they have a sense of well being. Yeah. The vehicle is laughter. I love that. That's so cool. It must, I mean, just hearing the way you describe it, I, I, I'm not a therapist, but I think I was actually able to make it make sense in my head, what you just said. <laughs> um, and anyway, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And actually that's why it's not just one person in a room alone laughing. It's a whole group of people mm -hmm. talk about activating that social kind of, um, social engagement system. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is only on in the venture in the ventral vagal complex. Yep. I mean, I, I say yep as if I knew that, but yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I think, I think it is, I think it's fascinating how two completely different approaches really are trying to get at the same thing. So, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So many, many, many roads lead to Rome. That's it. That's exactly right. Relationship is key. Safe co-regulating relationships are key. The nervous system is key. Those are th like two of my essential ingredients, I would say. The relationships that are super safe, attuned, connected, co-regulating, and the nervous system. And then we can bring in a whole host of creativity and ideas. And it's not just one answer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think as a, as a therapist or coach, like you just said, many roads lead to Rome. So everybody's trying to get to that metaphorical Rome, but it doesn't mean that you have to get to it in the same way as the person next to you. It, don't be afraid. I mean, some coaches I've, sp I've spoken to incorporate music in their, mm -hmm. in their, I'm talking about like live music, like she brings her guitar and um, it's, it's all part of, I think the same ultimate goal, which is developing that sense of community. Community is like you just said, um, in a slightly different way, but we're basically saying the same thing. Community is so essential, that feeling of community and um, nothing builds community like music, right? So don't be afraid to, to make your practice your own, you know? That's the, kind of the key message here. I love that. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, this was really, really unique, really, really informative. I'm, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. And um, yeah, Nicole, I just want to give you a chance to tell everybody um, where they can find you and how they can find out more about the amazing work you're doing. Thank you. So my website is amazingbrains.com. Um, awesome name, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, and I have a new project, healinglifetherapist.com, which is just getting going. I'm trying to make more resources available to people. Um, really cost efficient online. Uh, my Instagram is healing life therapist. And those are the places you can find me. All righty. Well, there you have it. Uh, that was Dr. Nicole McGuffin. And I encourage everybody to, to check out her work. So thank you so much again, Nicole. That was really, really great. Thank you, Brandon. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Okay. Likewise, you take care.
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one. Thank you.